Um, let me make sure he's actually still alive. I regret to inform you he is not still oh, alive. No. Uh, oh, no. Oh, oh, my God. He just died. Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwint. I'm Steve Parkhurst. And today we're issuing a level four alert for African Motaba virus. Wee wee wee. That's my level <laughs> that's, four alert. That's a great. It's great. Thank it's you so, so much. good. Thank you. But yeah, we're headed to Cedar Creek, California, for for Wolfgang Peterson's 1995 genre-defining outbreak. Is it? Is it a genre? I feel like the sort of outbreak type <laughs> i mean like what had been before this that was like hmm. i i mean there must have been i guess something. I'm, I'm, I'm not a film historian so so this is probably somewhat ahistorical but to me <laughs> this does but it feel feels genre genre defined. defining like i don't know if you have contagion without outbreak necessarily Maybe. I, I, I don't maybe either. uh certainly like everyone compared the two and for good reason but I think I know why you think it's genre-defining. Okay, yeah, it's genre-defining in my heart. (laughs) That's beautiful. So this is the rare uh, Mission Recall episode where you are me and I am you. Yeah, isn't that exciting? In in terms of our experience with the film in question. A little Freaky Friday here. We both peed in a fountain (laughs) right at midnight and woke up. And now that's why we can't go to Italy. Can't make it through passport control. But um, yeah, this was like a really important movie to me. <laughs> I didn't see... So this came out in 95. And I... So I was only eight. Clearly didn't see it in theaters. This was like an R movie. Yeah, they dropped the F-bomb a lot. A lot. and Among other bombs. <laughs> several... Uh, two. Two bombs. Two bombs. But like, that's They're a lot big. of bombs. They're big bombs. They're very big, big, big bomb boys. Big, big bomby boys. But so I must have seen this on video, and I can't under... Like, there was a lot of stuff that I was not allowed to see as a child. I, so interesting. I do not know exactly how I saw this movie for the first time, but I know I did because I immediately became like hyper fixated on infectious diseases. <laughs> and that never came up as an issue for our country ever, ever again. again. It certainly came up as an issue for my social development. <laughs> I will. I, mean, there were a I lot will of say, there. a lot of issues there. It did not help that I like. I had a. I had a poster of infectious diseases in my room. I had like Independence Day. Yeah. Like <laughs> you cut outbreak. Like it was. It was from the week. This poster was from the the Weekly Reader, which I know I brought up on this podcast. It was some magazine type thing that was distributed to schools i don't know if it was like nationwide or just in i doubt just florida but it was something that came to my school every week and we all got a copy uh in elementary school and there was a a a poster uh about infectious diseases i think (laughs) wait okay sorry so this wasn't a poster for the movie outbreak no it was was just just a poster poster of infectious infectious tuberculosis ebola (laughs) Yeah, I it was a poster for Outbreak. <laughs> no, no, the movie. No, no. Wow, just got really into 
learning about. Yeah, I can't imagine why your uh, social life was stunted. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe it was the fact that I went to an elementary school where there was only one other girl in my grade. I think that might have been... That certainly didn't help Not things. super great so, for me. All right. The poster, you know, came in, in the Weekly Reader, which we definitely didn't get in, in elementary in, school. Okay. Uh, not to say other people didn't around I'm, us. I we know it was a thing, yeah. just in a very yeah. poor school. But... Why do you think you were so drawn to both the movie and the concept of infectious diseases? (laughs) I think it's because after watching Outbreak, I learned what a virus is. And what I learned was like just totally melted my brain because with bacteria, you're like, the oh, okay, it's a thing that is technically alive, like it is an, an organism. But a virus is neither living nor non-living. It ha- it does not do any of the things we associate with life, right? Which is like eating, growing, etc. It just kind of infiltrates, reproduces, and destroys. That's kind of like the only thing that it does that is a thing that living beings Life-like, do. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think I, I read something somewhere that was like, how do you kill something that isn't dead? And like... That totally just fascinated me, and I became, like, really, really interested in diseases that also, like, kill very quickly and in horrifying ways. I think lots of kids have really morbid sort of curiosities. That's part of being a kid, because once you learn, like, about death, you're like, well, how do people die? What's that all about? And what then happens to you them learn, you die? start learning about all the ways that people die, and you're like, what the fuck? But it's so interesting. So it's kind of interesting for me that you went on the professional, like the career track that you went on. I'm a little surprised Not you didn't go into yeah. like infectious disease or virology or any kind of like. I, I don't know. I mean, science. Yeah, I, science. I just got tired. I also was really bad. <laughs> You just got kind of. <laughs> I got I got kind got of fed up with sleepy. school, honestly. Like, I got kind of fed up with uh, having to be so good at school, and also like I was great at AP Bio. I I remember that sure. I was really good uh, in that class, but I was bad at chemistry. Uh, uh, and you kind of can't be bad at chemistry if you want to go into that. I also just I don't know. I was yeah, doctor was never really one for me. Not even like research doctor, you know, yeah. it's just never, I, I liked writing a lot. Hmm. It was easier. You contain multitudes. Easier. It is a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> but it Anybody is, can I did write. always like. That's what I tell everyone. Anyone I, can anyone write. Anyone can write. And you should give your, your notes on anything that anyone else Oh yeah, writes. sure. It, it's you, no real skills whatsoever. No. But it is, I actually like, one of my first job jobs was writing for a magazine that did like sciencey stuff like I wrote an article for a magazine about like RNA interference technology uh which is I mean who hasn't you know but it was uh, like it was nice to be able to like sort of marry that (laughs) marry those interests at long last I saw Outbreak once and I remembered very little of it it made no impression on me and then tonight I saw it for the second time did you when when did you do you remember when you saw it nope Sometime, nope. sometime back in the day, in the VHS era, yeah. sometime after it came out, yeah. uh, I suspect it might have, like I was just talking about uh, with our Face Off episode, I think I might have fallen prey to my parents kind of nitpicking it. To oh, death. and this movie, like, is is not 
good for people with a medical background. Yeah. Like I said before, both my parents have medical backgrounds, so it made watching something like ER, uh, which uh, James Newton Howard did the score for yeah. for ER as well as this. Uh, it made watching any sort of medical drama or movie almost unwatchable, yeah. unbearable. Yeah. Uh, but I also kind of internalized it and was like, yeah, that's not oh, possible. Oh, not accurate. Even though I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. And I still don't. And like looking at it now, you know, yeah, you, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of the severity of the virus, yeah. how quickly it spreads, the fact that it's got a 100% mortality rate. That's wild. <laughs> I think that felt like a little unnecessary. Totally uh, unnecessary. But, you know, if you're on board with that general premise this is a very well constructed movie. it is it really really moves i'm actually like surprised at how well it holds up i mean i have yeah. I, I have watched it at many points during the the intervening years and like it has always held up but uh but actually surprised me this time around was how critical it is of of the military actually pre 9-11 baby like there was it was still possible to be critical of the military and this one's interesting because it is both kind of supportive of the military's role in actually containing an outbreak which yeah. the military in this movie does pretty effectively. pretty effectively yeah like the outbreak never actually breaks out <laughs> Which yeah, they actually funny. like stop some yahoos that are trying to break quarantine. Um, yeah. I guess very quickly plot yeah, wise. I guess we should actually like. I mean, if you haven't seen it, I do actually recommend it. It's on HBO Max. That was right HBO now? Max. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it 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 bounces around a bunch. It's yeah. usually available to stream somewhere. I'm this not going to tell you to buy this. It's a Warner Brothers movie, so it is. That doesn't mean it's going to stay on HBO Max, but that's maybe it'll be there for a while. A good first place to check. So, outbreak concerns the outbreak of a hemorrhagic fever. So, kind of like Ebola, but worse, because even Ebola doesn't have a mortality rate that is 100%. 100%, and that kills in two to three days. Just liquefies your organs, basically. It, which is, like, so compelling of a visual. Like, you know, uh, one of the doctors opens, you know, does an autopsy on someone who has died from this virus and is like it's like a bomb went off inside him and they don't show it yeah you never see it you never see it but like it's so such a visceral description that well you and can't... just on the outside everyone kind of looks like the um burn victims from chernobyl yeah a little bit yeah like the early stages of yep. that it's really really it's good makeup really good makeup in this movie so anyway uh the movie actually starts with an outbreak in africa and we the american military fucking destroys the vi- although they do take pains to point out that like all of the entire village has died sure uh, there but is it, still a child that is technically alive in that village well and the doctor the doctor fine. is because it's fine. not airborne it's not airborne point. in in this case but so the american military wipes it out after taking samples um what is with what is essentially a, what they call the largest non-nuclear weapon they have yeah and it it is made to look like a nuclear bomb yeah it looks really looks, really looks bad pretty grim yeah. really bad um and then of course the virus resurfaces 30 nearly 30 years later because they never found the host for the virus which is you know these little capuchin monkeys little cuties little cuties and you know the exotic pet trade <laughs> rears its ugly head and deforestation 
And uh, it makes its way over to America via Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, Patrick as, Dempsey. As Jimbo. As Jimbo the sort of, Jimbo the himbo. Like, yeah. He's, he's this goofy kind of, I don't know how you'd even describe it. He's not like a hippie. He's no, just kind he's, of a dirtbag. He's a total dirtbag who, you know, you think is sort of liberating an animal from a test facility and in reality is just trying to sell her into the exotic pet trade. And yeah. then and then they, they won't buy him because it's a girl and they wanted a boy. And so he just releases it into the Redwoods. Which... Like just south, just north of Santa Rosa, yep. I guess, uh, and and then flies on a plane to Boston, and they, but then they contain it in Boston, and they're like, "Whew, thank goodness!" But then some dipshit lab guy in California gets a vial of blood just splattered all over him because well, he's paying attention to like uh, the a baseball game on yeah, the radio, a Giants game, I guess, and sticks his hand into a whirring fucking it's centrifuge, centrifuge, and just shatters just shatter- his fingers, and and, and, and blood goes everywhere. Everywhere, and he's worried about uh, HIV and hepatitis, which I mean, understandable, which is understandable, but also like I I do think it I would have thought it was funnier if it had all happened in boston and that was a red sox fan well sure that just would have fit really nicely sure just a bunch of boston dipshits causing the end of the world i can see it you know but then you have to quarantine the entire city of boston so i mean we should do that anyway (laughs) firebombing we should firebomb boston that's Steve's opinion. I don't believe we should firebomb. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. Oh, okay. Boston should be firebombed. <laughs> just, just start just over. Start over, man. We fucked up. It's, it's pretty. Uh, I actually, I have no antipathy towards the city of Boston. It was fine the times I visited. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, this is in Cedar Creek, California, where the real outbreak happens. It goes airborne. It mutates. Uh, and the entire town starts dying. And so Dustin Hoffman, we, we should get to the cast now. It's a hell of a cast. It is a hell of a cast. And also in like a couple of ways that are really <laughs> uncomfortable. You know, there's Dustin Hoffman, Kevin Spacey. Morgan Freeman, all three of whom have had like varying levels of of accusations of yeah. misconduct. Spacey is the most egregious, and it is kind of you, you enjoy watching him. Spoiler alert: die horribly. It is though a problem. Like the problem with Kevin Spacey is that he <laughs> many. One, yeah. Sorry, not the problem. One of many problems is like the dude's unavoidable. He everywhere. was in everything for like. 20 or 30 years. 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Uh, just all over the place. All through the 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Like, he was winning Oscars. He was and Emmys. Just, and, and Emmys. And just in... He was everywhere. So, like, he's kind of one of those guys where you can't... It's really hard to just cut Avoid. out everything that he was in because that's like half of all movies of the last it 30 is. goddamn years. And it's... I don't know. It's really irritating. Like, because he's fun in this movie it's also it's irritating because he had a good agent like he was in a lot of really good movies yeah yeah it's a bummer (laughs) like he's a he's a bad person who should like we should i never want to hear anything from him ever again um that'd be fine i forgot he was in this movie (laughs) but again that's the thing is like he pops up like and you're like herpes and you're just like oh Oh, god God, him again great Ah, now we have to deal with this but he does but he does (laughs) He he does die horribly in this, so um, so that's nice. You know that's great to see. Also, Donald Sutherland, Cuba Gooding Jr., um, Renee Russo. Renee Russo, she's so great in this. 
she and Dustin Hoffman's character are exes. They have divorced and... Because it's the 90s. It's the 90s and, and everyone's wife is a bitch. Um, but luckily, like, she is... She's not a bitch. She's, she's not a bitch. She's like, you know, she just doesn't take any of his shit. Like, yeah. It is kind of nice that, like, I feel like this is actually a relatively accurate portrayal of just kind of a marriage that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, like... Dustin Hoffman's character, Sam Daniels, uh, Colonel Daniels? Colonel. Mm-hmm. Uh, does seem like a pretty exhausting guy to oh be married God, to. Oh my God, completely exhausting. Like, it's definitely someone where that initial, let's call it a honeymoon period, is so, like, enthralling and enrapturing. And you're like, oh my God, this guy's a genius. He's so smart. He's clever. He's, he's a spark plug. Yeah. Like, and then after a while, it's like, this little 5 1 oh motherfucker. Oh, my fucking God. He's just exhausting. I can't deal with all of his tantrums over yeah. everything. Jesus Christ. Get this, like, spotlight off of me. Get this little gremlin yeah. to just leave me alone for but five minutes. They also minutes. They have two dogs that Very are St. Bernard ish. I don't think they're full St. No, Bernard's, but, like, St. Bernard something. something and Very they're just. Cute. Wonderful dogs. Great dogs. A lot of really good animal acting in this movie. Ama- the monkey acting in this. Fantastic. There's a monkey that is not the little capuchin monkey that, like, I'm pretty sure that was the monkey from Friends. Who? Oh, what a career. Crystal, I believe, is her name. She, like, she was the monkey from Friends. I want to say she did this. She also ended up on an NBC show called Animal Practice. I think I remember that. She lived to... I don't know if she's still alive. Capuchins live. But they apparently like kind of a while because yeah. that was at least like a 15 year. Yeah. You know, like, span. That's a wide span. So con- amazing work by Crystal. If this is indeed her, I'm pretty sure. Probably uh, related at least. At, at the, <laughs> even, even with monkeys, there's <laughs> nepotism monkey, monkey in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, that was Crystal's daughter. Like, oh, God oh, damn fuck. it. Jesus. Never catch a break. But the other, there's a another monkey who is in the pet store that that Patrick Dempsey tries to sell Crystal to, and the other monkey I think is a, a rhesus monkey. Yeah, and, sure. And uh, great, that monkey has to play sick. They do it amazingly. I don't know they the put gender. Put some makeup on it. It was incredible. yeah. It was really amazing stuff. I hope the monkey was okay. You know, I hope. Yeah, I probably hope it was best right. not to look into it. Yeah. It's like, you know, having Kevin Spacey in there. Like, let's not think about it too much. Right? Like, there's there's a lot happening here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, great acting all around by the monkeys. A great cast. Uh, Donald uh, Sutherland is Sutherland, so... Sutherland, you know, being oh, villainous. We love so a villainous great. Sutherland. He's so good. It is interesting that, like, he plays a lot of villains. I mean, he's just got... And a, he's got that. But Kiefer Kiefer's is always the hero. Be the hero. Yeah, I think Donald just has that vibe where that he can thin-lipped, be... He's got like thin lips and big blue eyes. And <laughs> very villain. Villainous big blue eyes. Like he, yeah. he kind of always has a little bit of a scowl mm-hmm. of, of some a kind. A sneer. A sneer. That's what it is. Yeah. It's a sneer. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he's great. I love Donald Sutherland. Like you were saying before, this is sort of an interesting portrayal of the military where it does do a great job of containing this outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like a very necessary force to come in and do this. And given given how virulent, virulent, like this would be a true disaster. Like a global fucking killer. Uh, 
And so that's, you know, like, oh, rah, 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 military. But then you've got this cover up, like the kind of the whole plot of the movie revolves around the fact that that outbreak in Africa where they blew up a village has been covered up Mm -hmm. by Sutherland and Morgan Freeman's character. And they've kind of been in cahoots. They're really the only two who know about it. Mm -hmm. And now like, oh, no, it's reared its ugly head again. Mm -hmm. And now it's airborne. And you've got this annoying colonel, uh, Daniels, who is just sticking his big old nose into everything. And like, they kind of go, you know, go. What is it? What's they're at saying? loggerheads. They're at loggerheads yeah. of like Morgan Freeman's conscience kind of takes over. Where mm-hmm. Sutherland is like, oh, don't be such a baby, you know, yeah. don't be such a. Because know, the thing heart. is, is like the the military has been not just aware of this virus, but has taken the virus and essentially turned it into a biological weapon. That's right. Yeah, and that is why the military is so keen on like wiping any trace of this off of the face of the earth because they want to be the only ones who have it and can use it and they don't want anyone else to like develop any anti-serum any sort of cure for this because they want to be and like when you stop and think about it that's absolutely fucking horrifying like you know it is played properly as like this horrible thing in the movie but like when you really sit down and go and 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 think about it for a second, you're like, "Oh my fucking god, this is sickening!" Like, and yet I don't get the feeling that this is an overtly political movie. Weirdly, no. Right? Weirdly, Isn't no. It, it feels like if this movie were made today, it would basically just be sort of an anti-COVID, like anti masking mm-hmm. you know uh, they even like the, the, the cedar creek people like do not like that they are being like quarantined. forcibly quarantined by the military in right. a way that like no one ever was during covid right like <laughs> there weren't helped. armed troops w- walking the streets telling you to like stay in your homes you know there's a couple of a couple of trucks full of people who make a desperate attempt to escape the town and the military like a military helicopter shoots one of the cars uh it's not the car with children in it no no i think they know that would be just too too far far. but it is you know it's also treated as like the military weirdly acts with some restraint in that like yeah they keep saying like please stop stop driving stop we're going to have to shoot you they give them kind of every a lot chance of and i we do have to talk about kind of the ra- like i i don't want to call it like the i don't want to say the movie is racist because i think it does very acutely feel the difference between like we firebombed this african village And like, you guys, you know, but we're going to do everything in our power to stop that from happening to this extremely white Northern California town. I didn't see a single black person in that town. There was not a single black person. Cuba Gooding Jr. was the first black person that's been in that town in 50 years. It was still a sundown town. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, Northern California? Yeah. 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 I see it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah, it's interesting because it feels... 
sort of the racism feels almost built into the movie in the sense of like it's taken as a given that they bomb this African village. Right. And but then that bombing the white mm-hmm. town, the is California town is like, oh, this is a problem. These are American lies. And I mean, it is also like clearly treated as a cover up and they don't want it getting out that they bomb this village. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does feel it's a, it's icky. It's not It's a little icky, but I also like I don't think the movie is entirely unaware of, of yeah. what it, the, that looks like exactly. Right. But also, it is 1995, so... It's 95. Mm. I mean, I've definitely seen worse from the era, especially because Sutherland does end up trying to bomb the California town. Right. So, you know, that's good. It is good. That He's is willing like, to he, bomb all all. He colors, doesn't see color. <laughs> he'll, he, just he'll sees, he just sees virus. Yeah. And, like, weirdly, and he's right about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, Donald Sutherland had a point. Donald Sutherland had a point. It's weird... <laughs> I mean, you know, he wanted it because it was a bioweapon, yeah, not necessarily no to keep it safe or, you know, to keep the contagion from no. spreading. But uh, yeah, like also make sure it doesn't spread. That's a problem. That is a huge problem. Yeah, it is. The virus itself in Outbreak is not a good virus because it simply wouldn't escape often enough. Well, they even kind of point this out. You know, uh, so Hoffman says to Morgan Freeman's character, like, yeah, it's a 100% mortality rate. And Freeman's like, well, that's good. Yeah, that means like, if if people, like... If there's no real incubation period, then everybody who gets sick and dies does it within a few days. And they don't have the opportunity to spread it. Like, you know, they exhibit sy- symptoms, like, within hours. Yeah. So, like, that's okay. It's not going to spread that far. And, like... Actually, he's kind of right. He's kind of right. If it hadn't been, if it hadn't mutated and gone airborne, right. like it would have been less of a problem. And even then, they're able to contain it to this town pretty easily, pretty quickly, pretty easily. And that's been the interesting thing to look back on. And I don't think you can fault either movie, uh, Outbreak or Contagion, mm-hmm. in that they both had the U.S. military as a major player in mm-hmm. an, an outbreak, yeah, and in stopping an outbreak and being a relatively effective uh, part of that response u.s government response and huh that doesn't actually happen no and i'm not saying that i wanted the military to be involved in covid response uh but it is weird to see just how competent every government agency is in both outbreak and contagion that's kind of been the big takeaway of the last two and a half years is that hollywood's version of the cdc of the military of the u.s government apparatus in Mm -hmm. general when it comes to you know viral outbreaks uh has been overstated like Mm -hmm. it's maybe not that great no uh and i don't know maybe it would have been better at a different point in history it's hard to say but uh that's really like the funny thing about both of those movies is that the most unrealistic part is that there's a competent government response. Yeah, and and that people actually, like, you know, there's... What Contagion gets right is the grifting that would pop up. Um, that outbreak, is true. outbreak doesn't have that, and I think it's just because, like, the, the, the virus is too severe and it moves too... Like, and it is just this one town. Right. If... It it would be interesting to do kind of a remake of this movie and like have an element have like a subplot that deals with the media angle and the the fear mongering and whatnot and like the line between realism and fear mongering which I think we saw with the monkeypox 
stuff that was going around. Some of it was extreme scaremongering. Some of it was extremely like, no, this is like disease entirely like affecting one very specific population of people. So like you don't have to worry about it at all. And it was very difficult to tell what I should be worried about. It really was. I had no idea what to actually believe. Yeah, that was fascinating, especially because we've seen a couple of large outbreaks now in the past 40 years where we've kind of gotten both sides of the coin. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the AIDS epidemic was very much, you know, just like, oh, it's it's just the gays. It's just the gays. Don't worry about it. If you're not gay, you're fine. It's like, no, but it's not. And I felt like there were shades of that with monkeypox where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's just the gays. But it's then fine. you had people going... Uh, there's children with monkeypox, yeah, which I like, oh that. no, don't, don't hold. I mean, yes, I'm sure there's children, but like, uh, let's not oh have gay disease and children in the same. Yeah. Like, oh god, that is the only. I don't want to remake this movie, but if there were to be some kind of update, I, I think that might be an interesting element to to yeah, introduce. Because even Contagion, like it had a, totally, it had the fear mongering, yeah. or it, it had the grifting, the grifting at least. Uh, what's yeah. his name? Um, Jude Law. Jude Law, who's oh, great so in it. He's a great grifter, and he actually kind of predicted like Alex Jones and people yeah. like that in a lot of ways. The only thing that Soderbergh didn't get completely 100% right is that Jude Law's character would definitely have blamed the Jews. Sure. Uh, But other than that, it's an extremely prescient portrait of of a pandemic grifter. Yeah. I think like uh, Outbreak's most prescient point is probably like people will try to escape the uh, The quarantine. quarantine. Yeah. And boy, we sure saw that. People wouldn't even like... The idea that you couldn't go to Chili's right? was enough to send people into a frothing panic. Uh, so we know all that to be true. We know grifters will will pop up, and like I think if there was to be an update today to either of those movies, sort of a you know fill out the trilogy, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there would be a lot of of you know ground to cover now that we have so much mm-hmm. of like misinformation, fear mongering. Just like the general confusion that is sown amongst the population, like social media and how hard it is to like once the thing's out there, you know, when when the social media companies are like, nah, it's fine. It's free speech. Whatever. It's like, oh. You can't do anything about it. It's that like we've known forever that a lie reaches around the world twice before the truth can even get its pants on that's something i'm butchering the aphorism but like it's fun though i hadn't heard that oh yeah and like that's always been true but it's even more true now yeah we're really we're really coming to test the limits of like oh is it is it four times now before the truth can even put its pants on oh wait everyone's ignoring the truth the truth never gets out of bed that's the thing is like I would say it's four or five times, but it's also kind of mutated on its own where you're not even sure which lie is the original lie. Yeah, uh, or if the truth is even the truth. Is the truth even out there? Did the truth get shot in its bed and never even like get out? And uh, yeah, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Uh, like just seeing how both of these movies, which are both well-written and both prescient in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and like... In both cases, the virus itself is kind of the biggest weak point, which kind of, you need that for dramatic effect. You do. You can't have a virus that's like 
slow moving or that just doesn't kill enough. Like Like you need a virus that kills really gruesomely and both of them have, you know, watching Gwyneth Paltrow die is great in (laughs) contagion. It's it's really gruesome, and in in this in an outbreak, it's also really gruesome to see Kevin Spacey keep, die. It's great. We love. We love that. man. God, I remember a time when it was like sad to, to see Kevin to watch Spacey Kevin Spacey die. I, know, I remember liking the character. Sure. Yeah. Huge he, bummer. Yeah. You know, like I think COVID was something like two percent mortality at its yeah at its height. Absolute. Like at height. its most virulent, uh, and like yeah, for a dramatic. For dramatic purposes, you do need it to be higher than that. Mm-hmm. 100% is a bit much. It's just, it's simply not effective. Yeah, it's just not a good virus. But otherwise, both of these movies are well written, and the thing they missed was just the mass confusion mm-hmm. and the lack of uh, institutional response, response yeah. and coordination. Yeah. And that's a bummer, because lately I've been reading articles <laughs> that are just like, hey, we're still not prepared for the next one. And I mean, I remember just like I remember reading articles before Hurricane Katrina Mm -hmm. that was just like, hey, New Orleans is really, really vulnerable. And then sure enough, uh, I remember reading articles prior to COVID being like, hey, we're not prepared for any kind of pandemic at all. And so now there's more articles being like, still not prepared. Nope. We still don't have this down. And it's like, oh, for Christ. (laughs) Like, so... Whatever the, the, the third, third movie is, they certainly have plenty of material to work with. They do. I do really appreciate, like, you might be wondering if you're listening to this, like, Outbreak is just an, is it an action movie? And it actually is. I was shocked by how much action there was, because I did have that question. I kept it to myself. But <laughs> oh, I did, that's very wise of I, you. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, but I did kind of wonder when we started, like, is this an action movie? It's like, oh, we're starting with this military, like, bombing this village, but, like, okay, what else action need do we have in this? There's, um, there's a crazy helicopter there, chase. Okay, I, I re- like, the helicopter chase is so so good in this so this is wolfgang peterson who directed a lot of things including the never endings so wolfgang peterson uh it was uh, or is he's still alive he's a german director who worked for like 25 30 years in germany and german tv shows and and films and then came over to hollywood and his big break in hollywood was the never ending story hell which yeah i had no idea so that's crazy um, he did Das Boot, which was a miniseries that was very successful, and then had a kind of a run starting in 95 with In the Line of Fire, which we should cover at some point. Uh, he also did Outbreak, Air Force One, which we have done. Mm-hmm. The Perfect Storm, which just misses out. <gasps> We're so, I'm so bummed it that came that's out in 2000. 2000. Maybe oh. that's an expansion pack. Uh, then Troy, which uh, was sort of middlingly mm. received, and that kind of is the start of the end so he did troy and poseidon which was pretty universally Ooh. panned and then he went back to germany uh did, like fuck this yeah i mean did at least one more movie there i don't know if he's doing anything else maybe he's producing but um let me make sure he's actually still alive i regret to inform you he is not still alive. oh no uh, oh no oh, oh my god he just died Oh no! Oh uh, God, he did because there was like oh there people was. On Twitter were talking oh, Jesus. about. Well, I'm an asshole. Uh, he just died in August uh, uh, this year of 2022. Oh, that was I remember now. Yeah. yeah. So that's a shame. I mean, he was 81. He wasn't like you know young, but that's also not that old. People can live 
Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, uh, kind of a quintessential 90s action director, I think. Like, uh, And yeah. I, I haven't really seen any of his German movies. I'd be curious. I, I'm, I haven't even I bet, seen Das Boot. I actually haven't either. So, like, you know, there's, I mean, he did way more movies in Germany than he ever did in America. Yeah. So he might have an illustrious career over there as well. Uh, but he did some great movies here. And uh, Outbreak's one of them. Like, the, the the helicopter sequence reminded me a lot of Mission Impossible Fallout. Yeah. Which is famous for its crazy helicopter sequence. And now, granted, Fallout's sequence is superior, but that's not really a fair comparison. Right. This is, this is doing something very different. Like, Outbreak was not a movie designed around sort of shock and awe. <laughs> like, right. this is, I mean, I'm sure they put the sequence in there because they were like... People like... We need action. Stuff, yeah. yeah. People like stuff blowing up in helicopters and, and whatnot. But it's, you know, mostly practical. There's... It is fucking wild, the stuff that they managed to do with these yeah. helicopters. It's like, pretty cool. So it's three helicopters. Two of them are chasing our, our heroes, Cuba Who have just... And so this isn't just like a regular helicopter chase where our guys are trying to escape. They are... But it's even more important because they have finally gotten their hands on the host monkey. They finally got Crystal. Uh, and they need Crystal so that they can develop this anti-serum and give it to... The town. The town. To Renee Russo. And, you know, that also means that, like, they don't have to... F- it's not just saving all the people in the town and Renee Russo. It's also... So they don't firebomb the town. Right. Which would, like actually maybe break the country if if you think about it that is that's a constitutional crisis that is and there is a surprisingly fun and interesting scene where i I don't know who that character i don't know if he's like the president's chief of staff maybe he's either the chief of staff or secretary of state or something some some something anyway this guy gives a very impassioned speech where he does cover a lot of that and it's you know basically saying like we need to decide you know, who we are as a country and, and what, you know, is right to yeah. do here. And, and like, like, there's also a lot of, like, uh, if you are in this room and and we do this, you're fucking standing shoulder to shoulder with the president saying, I was there and I approved this because yeah. none of this going off to the Washington Post and saying you didn't, you know, I was the lone voice of, uh, of dissent here. Fuck you. Which absolutely would have happened. Totally would have happened. Multiple people would have yeah. done that. Because, yeah, this this would have broken the country uh, in a pretty irreparable way. Like, if if you nuke a small town in your country. A small white town. A, a small, very because white town. That's they true. They kind of yeah, did firebomb uh, housing in, in, in Philadelphia. Right. Uh, and that didn't break the country. But if you did this, I think you would. That's a very good point. Yeah, if if you, you know, bomb people of color in this country, you'll probably be all right. You might even get a bit of a boost in the polls. I mean... But uh, a nice white town in, mm-hmm. in Northern California, that's, that's a boo-boo. You don't <laughs> want to do that. Uh, so, you know... For all the politicians out there, just don't, don't, don't approve that. Don't, don't That's approve not a bombing good idea. Santa Rosa. It's not a good idea. But uh, yeah, it is like that scene is really good, despite the fact that we like never met. We haven't seen that guy at all before in the movie, but he like 
delivers he fucking hams it up and it's really enjoy it he does a lot with that one scene it's actually something you pointed out that i think is uh really true here which is this movie does a great job of kind of filling out everybody with texture like Mm -hmm. patrick dempsey isn't in this movie for very long but you you get a very good sense of his Mm -hmm. character you know the woman uh in the dispatcher in the hospital. Who is that? She oh, actually. At the Coast she was. Guard. She yeah. So she isn't even Coast Guard. She's like the. It's the county, some sort of county clerk office that yeah. keeps the shipping records. Yes. Yeah. Uh, shipping manifests and. Uh, so she is the one getting them the information for these ships and they need to get in touch with this ship that has left and is, you know, on its way back to like, it's like a South Korean ship. And so they're trying to get in touch with this ship and they have, they need the Coast Guard and this, you know, random like admin woman is like, oh, I like know a guy in the Coast Guard and they're like, "Uh, oh, great you know how how close are you and he's like closer than his wife wants and you're like oh this lady is in her own story yeah and that's what a good movie does it just populates its world with interesting characters i think like a good rule of thumb is like everyone should have their own movie going on yeah uh we don't have to know it all we can just but get you, a little while slice. you are if if while you are writing the character you have their kind of whole backstory and their whole movie of their life in your head as you're writing their three lines of dialogue more often than not it is going to like come through even something like you know when when Patrick Dempsey is on the airplane to Boston and there's this little kid dressed up as a cowboy coming down the aisle uh, and his mom stops the kid from taking Patrick Dempsey's cookie saving the child which is great but like The way the kid and Patrick Dempsey interact and the mom's interaction, it's like, this is its whole, I can see these people's lives. I can see the mom being like, Jesus, I got to deal with this kid in the fucking cowboy. (laughs) He won't take it off. And he won't. And now he's trying to eat a cookie from a guy who looks like he's like strung the fuck out. Please don't. He's got like... He's she probably thought he had AIDS or yeah. something. Yeah, they're coming from yeah, like San, San Francisco. Francisco. It's a it's a good rule of thumb just in general for movies. You know, it's I think I attributed a lot to the Coen Brothers. Mm. You know, they kind of sir, we can't give out no information on our <laughs> residents. Like that lady from No Country is a great example yep. of that. But like here it is in uh, an action in- movie in from the nineties. Like Wolfgang Peterson got it. He understood it. He got it. The, like, the screenwriters who didn't do much, although one of them, uh, Robert Roy Poole, has a story credit on Armageddon, which is huh. really interesting. Weird. The other one, the other guy didn't really do much. Weird. Uh, so props to Laura, Lawrence Dorrit and Robert Roy Poole for writing like a pretty, pretty solid, pretty great script. Like... And I know it helps when you have all these very good actors doing your dialogue, but like it is, it it, it feels realistic in a way, and not in a way that's like you know, okay, this is too boring. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it feels strangely grounded and realistic in how everyone interacts and their relationships. You get a sense of. You know, like Dustin Hoffman and and uh, Morgan Freeman have a friendship going mm-hmm. back that's a little testy, maybe. Mm-hmm. His relationship with Rene Russo, mm-hmm. like the relationship between Sutherland and Morgan Freeman. Like yeah. there's just all of these things going on that we don't know the full details of and we don't need to, but just 
knowing that they're there. there, knowing that these are full people with with interior lives, lives and histories, uh, just gives it that much more weight and makes you actually care. And that sounds so obvious, but I don't know, man. I feel like a lot of movies just don't have that sense of depth. No. Uh, like, you do not need to spell out every last detail of somebody's life no. and backstory, but just give us the understanding that they are, you know, these are people in their 40s. They've lived their lives. They have all this They've baggage and history. They've got other stuff going yeah. on. They have other stuff going on. Like, even just the pet store owner that, like, won't take the monkey from Patrick Dempsey is yeah. like, I got... You know, they want the male monkey. They want to breed. And you're like, huh, there's a lot going on here. But then, like, he dies in an amazing stunt where he crashes into a, like, a a shelving unit full of full fish tanks. That that was crazy. I actually gasped. You did. I was like, yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah, very unexpected. And, yeah, a hell of a stunt, like... What kind of breakaway glass do you use that can hold the water and and fall over and look realistic? Although with like, the, uh, the the breakable mugs we have, the guy did say you could have water in it, so, right? Yes. Not hot water, but water. Water, but I mean, that's, you know, a few ounces, eight, 12 ounces of yeah. water. We're talking like 50 gallon right. tanks. That I don't know if that kind of glass or that kind of sugar glass, yeah. whatever it is. Maybe it was real. Maybe it was. Maybe and the guy had, just like, had, you know, protection on yeah. him, but like yeah. it might that might have been just real glass. Great little stunt, really well done. This movie is full of stuff like that. I I will say like the 90s feel like a really good time for texture, and I know we've talked about this before, but when you think about all of the actors that pop up for just a second, just a scene, just, you know, Something like The Fugitive, where like even the guys in the background are are like you know. Well, like the uh, the landlord and her in The Fugitive, yeah, dipshit son who's like a pedophile, I think. Oh yeah, he's like a yeah, he's a child molester. Like. And like that pops up for a scene, and then we never see them again. And it's just like, oh, there's the whole thing going on. Oh my there. god, that's its whole that's a whole other movie. They're living they're living through their own movie, and yeah, like. That's that is something that you know I think definitely was true in the nineties. I think you know and definitely earlier, like yeah. the seventies. Oh, oh, absolutely. I'm, you know, had plenty of that. But like, it does feel uh, as we got further, you know, as as the two thousands started going on, we stopped. We started losing that texture. I think. Yeah, it got more like confined and insular, and mm-hmm. it was really just about our kind of our core our heroes, cast. Yeah. And, like there just wasn't a lot of background. Like no yeah. one else was doing anything. I think you know a good example of like the exception that proves the rule is in Jurassic World, which I think we've talked about in the Jurassic Park episode. Mm. Bad movie. Uh, <laughs> There's a scene where the pterodactyls or whatever they are attack the oh, park, right. attack yeah. like the yeah, mall yeah, yeah. area of the park, and you see a guy who is actually Jimmy Buffett uh, <laughs> running away from the Margaritaville restaurant <laughs> holding a couple of margaritas, and it is maybe the one genuinely great moment in that yeah. movie of just like it's funny, it's interesting, it's but it's also so small. It's so much smaller than like the the dispatcher, the, you know, the at the county lady, clerk. Yeah. It, we don't get any lines from that guy. We don't really see his interior life. 
Um, but it is just like, oh, oh, somebody else doing something. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You don't get any more of that throughout that entire stupid movie. And I don't think that's just Jurassic World. No. I don't see a lot of that. I can't think of any examples of like modern blockbusters or action movies that show us, I don't know, even something like the new Top Gun movie. I liked. Yeah. It's a good movie. It's still in theaters because there's nothing it's else. It's making a lot of money. Um, and like for good reason, it's a very well done movie, but it's a very insular movie Mm -hmm. like there is not a lot of action outside of the core group of like five or six people yeah and that just feels like what filmmaking is now and i don't think it's like a covid thing where you know you can't have a lot of people on set because there were lots of people on set it's a penny pinching thing i i agree i think it's just like we don't hire as many actors we don't have to pay as many residuals Mm -hmm. or just the checks in the first place yeah it's a good way to save on budget that we can mm-hmm. funnel towards cgi yep and there is like once again a lot of people you know in in these movies like an outbreak the people look largely normal yeah even renee russo who is very very attractive sure. she looks ki- like she's attractive but she's kind of nor- she she hasn't had like too much botox i think she had some maybe by then but she's in she's in the helen hunt mold yeah. of 90s actresses who are very attractive if you ever saw them in person you'd be like oh my god, oh my god. step on me <laughs> uh but in the context of like today it's just like yeah they just they look like somebody you could see in real life yeah they you do would look- see that person and be like oh no, a hottie but you wouldn't it, it's different like they do look like people who just live in the world Mm -hmm. they look like they have pores yeah yeah they have pores like the the admin lady all of the the mom of the child who finds the monkey yeah you know that like they they're are there fewer actors like that now like is it we don't want to put anyone on screen who isn't like just transcendentally hot I hope the pendulum is swinging back. I feel like there has been a movement to get kind of more, more normal. normal looking people, but I think it's going to take a while for that to kind of swing through mm-hmm. in that direction. I, this is going to sound like an insult. I swear it isn't. She's very attractive, but like Aquafina is a fairly normal looking person. She is. She just looks like a person. Yeah. She's pretty. She's like, very she's attractive. Very attractive. Yeah. But she's somebody you could see at a grocery store. Yeah. And she's been doing more things. She's been getting into more stuff. Mm-hmm. The few movies that are out there yeah. that you can even be God, in. The Farewell is so good. I mean, The Farewell is amazing. And she's great in it. And so I do hope that we're shifting back into, like, we can't just have waifs and just stunning just to, and, and And Botoxed all to hell. And I know that this is, like, this isn't just a thing that's happening in, you know, Hollywood. Like, <laughs> Hollywood. Hollywood. The, like there is a concerted push by the makers of Botox to have everyone get Botox. Uh, there's like a move towards preemptive Botox. Like Jesus. people in their 20s are getting Botox. Uh, I have been reading about this. It is like a much more common thing. It's like, oh, just get a little, little Botox, just like preemptive. And uh, I can't stress enough how much you shouldn't do that if you're in your 20s and you're listening to this don't do that it's actually bad for you like it's not good for your face 
you shouldn't get botulism shoved into your face. Remember when Sounds everybody crazy. talked about that and then it just kind of stopped? Right, like... I guess it got accepted. I, I just, you know, and it's wild. Like, if you have migraines, I hear that it's, like, it can be an sure. effective treatment for migraines. Right. If you don't have migraines, don't do this. It's expensive. They push you towards more and more. Like, I mean, it is the old, you know, if you don't get it, then, it, you know, it, it sags even more. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like, yeah once you get on it's hard to get on yeah they want you to stay in the system yeah oh get some lip fillers too yeah why not that's another one that i see all the time now Lip fillers always look weird it looks so weird no so yeah this has turned into a anti-botox screed it's it's for the movie outbreak yeah right but like you know people look normal and that's great it's nice i love it when people are like attractive but normal just normal folks trying to contain an outbreak and doing um a pretty good job pretty good job yeah <laughs> i mean they they end up getting they the, the anti-serum they and um mass producing it somehow very quickly from a small california town i am not sure the logistics at play that allowed them to produce this anti-serum yeah the logistics are Shut the, Shut fuck, the up. fuck up. The logistics are the movie is ending in three minutes. We got to wrap this up. We need a scene where Dustin Hoffman, you know, and Rene Russo look like they might end up re- like reconciling. I think they do. And it all works out fine. And it's it's totally fine. They don't re-divorce. <laughs> Four years later. Yeah. The dogs uh, are traumatized again when mommy and daddy split. Uh, yeah, it's good they didn't have any kids. But like, yeah, that's it another, is, that is kind of a nice thing, actually. That's true. Like, no kids. Uh, it is funny though that Dustin Hoffman has like a cust- another custody battle in real life. No, no, uh, Kramer oh, versus we, Kramer. Oh, 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 yes, right. Yeah. Yet another movie where Dustin Hoffman has custody issues. Yeah, which was much earlier. That was like late seventies. Yeah. Think. But yeah, that's sort We're of... We're still dealing with our bitch of a wife. Yeah. Well, I feel like it started like divorce was still somewhat. Um, obscure, just sort of a newer thing. It obviously existed. In Didn't the 70s. California institute no fault divorce like within that time period, and that kind of kicked it off. Kicked off a lot of stuff. That sounds right. Uh, but yeah, then in the you know eighties and nineties, as it ramped up, and it was a you know women were able to leave their shitty husbands. Because well, also like uh, what was it late seventies or early eighties that women could get credit cards of their own? Oh right. Without their husband's approval. Yeah. It is kind of interesting that that divorce storyline goes through so many movies in the 90s. Like, it's very reactive to to the... Wow. California instituted no-fault divorce on as of J- January 1st, 1970. Hmm. So that them. makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Kramer versus Kramer is like 77-ish. That, that makes, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, they uh, get divorced probably get back together in in uh, by the end of the movie and then probably get divorced again probably in again a few years. <laughs> there's a, a bad hantavirus outbreak that, that stretches them to their breaking drives points. them apart yeah but yeah you know outbreak i was really pleasantly surprised like i didn't think it'd be bad but uh i remember just having no feelings about it whatsoever like i watched it it kind of slid off my brain i never thought about it again for 25 years <laughs> until now and uh, I had a really fun time. It was a really good movie. It's, a, it's 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 really propulsive. It moves right along. There's action. None of it gets like too silly or goofy. No. Like the characters are all really good. The actors are great. Like it. I don't know, man. I I it had moves, fun. It's tense. The score is great. Yeah. Like 
A A plus everyone involved. R.I.P. to to Mr. Peterson and to Kevin Spacey, who tragically died 15 years ago. And we well, no and, idea what happened. Yeah, it's a shame. Whatever. <laughs> Rotten hell. <laughs>